we first moved into our house, uh, I can't remember why, if the previous owners had taken the gas or the dryer and the washer or if they just need to be replaced, but we had to get a new ga gas dryer. I mean, a used one, but you know, new to us. So we got this dryer and this washing machine, but our dryer hooks up to gas. And I was feeling a little nervous about like, okay, I'm okay with wood, working with wood, um, but this is like pipes and metal and gas. And so we had to replace it and I'd never done it. And so I had asked uh, someone I knew offered that would come over and help me do it. And so they showed me how to hook it up and they're there. And we checked it for leaks and everything was good. But recently we started smelling gas when our dryer would run. And Katie, usually we have this team effort. She researches what's wrong, orders the parts and I install it. It's like, a, we joke that we're gonna start an appliance store or something like that <laughs> where we repair stuff. So uh, we think we repaired like four or five of our appliances. So she was researching and was like, well, there's like five different things it could be, and we have to explore all of them, and so it's going to take more time than we really want to take, so let's just get another, uh, a different one. And so we got a different one, and when it came to us hooking up, I was like, you know, this time I'm going to do it myself. So I watched a YouTube video that told me how to do it. I bought a new gas line and fittings from Menards. I turned off the gas supply. I got the one dryer out, and I got the new dryer in and hooked it up. And when I checked it for leaks, it had a little bit of a leak, and I called Ed. Where is he? There's Ed. Ed used to be a plumber, uh, and so I texted him, and he had called me and said, like, here's what, what could be wrong, and then got it fixed and going, then we have a new dryer. Yay! So I installed it all by myself, and you all can give me the appropriate man points for doing so. That's really, that's, this isn't even part of the sermon. I just wanted to get that. <laughs> no. But did I really do it myself? You know, I was like, I'm going to do this myself, and then I felt like I did it myself, but did I really do it myself? The reality is that all along the way, I trusted other people to help me do it. Larry helped me unload it from my car and into our basement. A guy on YouTube showed me how to do it, and someone else had shown me how to do it before that. Menard sold me the parts. I didn't make those parts. I bought them from somebody else, uh, and Ed helped me when something went wrong, and so I didn't, even though it's like, well, I did this myself, it's like I really didn't do it myself. I had a ton of people who helped me along the way, even if I didn't meet them personally. And we'd like to be self-sufficient in life. I think we'd all like, you know, the whole DIY, do it yourself. I don't know if that's a craze, but it is a, a thing now of like, let's do DIY decorating, DIY demolition, or what, you know, whatever it is, or renovating. And we like, we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be able to do it on our own, to not really need anyone else as we are going through the things of life. But the truth is, we are far more dependent on others than we would like to admit or that we realize. And as we continue in this series called Redeemed for God, going through the book of Exodus, uh, it's been, we're taking just eight weeks, so it's kind of a, not getting the nitty-gritties of every verse, but it's eight weeks of going through this book, which is uh, how many chapters? Like 40, 40-ish chapters. Um, and so eight weeks isn't a long time, but this in this book, uh, it's part of the first five books of the Old Testament which the Jewish people referred to as the Torah, or instruction, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And these formed, in a way, kind of like their foundation documents. Like if we have the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution for us, this is like Israel's uh, foundation constitution documents. And it really gives them their origin story and answers the big questions of life. And one of the main books in there is the Exodus. This is the defining moment, the defining event for the people of Israel. It happened over 3,000 years ago for us, somewhere like 1200 to 1500 BC, so that's 1200 or 1500 years before Jesus. And it's a story about freedom, the defining story of who they are, of what God has done for them, 
and what that now means about them. And God declares it. He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then when he does it, he says, this is what I did for you, and now this is who you are, and I want you to be my people and for me to be your God. And in short, you could think of Israel the way, the easy way to think of Israel, who they are, their purpose is they are blessed to be a blessing, that God chose the people of Israel. He chose their ancestor Abraham, who lived 430 years or 500 years before the Exodus. And he chose him and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to use you to bring blessing to this world that has been cursed because people have turned away from you. Now you see sin and selfishness and evil and suffering and injustice. And all that I'm going to undo through you, Abraham. I'm going to pour blessing back in the world through you. And then his family grows, becomes the nation of Israel. And that's and then we find them here in Exodus. And the Torah wasn't just instruction about Israel's origin and their purpose and who they are, but it actually is instruction for the whole world because it starts off with the creation of everything we know, then the creation of the first humans, and then what the first humans did that now, when they turned, to God, uh, turned from God, now is rippled down through the centuries and affects us still today and what we are like and what our world is like. And so it's really instruction about big questions of life for all of us. Who, where did we come from? Who made us? What's our purpose? Uh, who are we? What's wrong with the world? What's the problem? And what's the solution? And where is it all going? This is the questions that the Torah um, and the book of Exodus answer for us. And last week we really focused on how what's happening for Israel is not how it's supposed to be. That they are enslaved by the nation of Egypt, by a bigger country where they came to take refuge from a big famine happening in the land of Palestine, the promised land Israel. They had to come down to Egypt to survive this famine because there was food in Egypt. And eventually a pharaoh rises up who doesn't remember, why is this family here? Why did we let them come here in the first place? I'm kind of scared of them. Let's enslave them. And then they also are, he also says, I also want you to kill all the newborn male babies. And so this, these pharaohs, this one in particular, is a murderer and an enslaver, killing off Israel's babies. But what we found last week is that God sees this is not how it's supposed to be. He sees it, he hears their cries, and he knows what's going on, and he's going to take action. He remembers, which doesn't mean like he forgot for a time, but he is going to act on his promises he'd given way back when to Abraham and his family that I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be your God. And so that's where it ended last week, like a cliffhanger. God's hearing the cries, seeing the pain, and he's remembering his promises. And then this week he starts to take action uh, in fulfillment of those promises. And really this whole section today is about will, and most of Exodus is, will they trust him? Will the people of Israel trust God to be who he says he is and to do what he says he's going to do? And that's the question for us too, is will we trust God? Will we trust him to be who he says he is and to do what he says he's going to do? Like I said, we're going through chapters 3 through 6, and that's on page 46 um, of the Black Bibles if you're using them. We're going to start in uh, chapter 3, verse, verse 1, going to chapter 4, verse 17. And really, this is God talking to Moses. There's like a, that's kind of how this section works, is that God talks to Moses in chapter 3. God ends this section by talking to Moses in chapter 6, and basically repeating what he said. And in between, Moses is talking to a whole bunch of other people. So... God talks to Moses, actually from your angle, God talks to Moses, God talks to Moses. In between, he talks to a whole bunch of people, so that's how this uh, chunk works. And so this first one, God talks to Moses, chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 17. And we're going to read 
through this chapter that we already heard read, or at least part of it. So we see Moses in chapter 3. He's off. He's run away from Egypt. He murdered an Egyptian. And now the Egyptian officials are after him. So he runs away into the desert of Midian. He meets a girl there. He helps this guy's daughters. And then he kind of gets brought into this family. And he marries one of the girls he helped. And so this is Moses in the wilderness, shepherding sheep. He's run, run away from Egypt, which is where he grew up. Moses is the kind of, I mean, he isn't the main character. God's the main character. But he's who God is using. He's like, I want you to free my people. And we're going to see him, God talking to Moses today to ask him to do that. So chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. By the way, Horeb, another name for this mountain is Mount Sinai, which is where eventually God is going to lead the people, where he gives them the Ten Commandments, where he says, I'm going to be your guiding be my people. At the mountain of God, it's a different name is Horeb or Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God introduces himself to Moses. This is who I am. Way back 500 years ago, I am the God who spoke to your ancestors. And now I'm speaking to you now, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. And in verse 7, God continues, And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites. Greg, do you want to go through the names again for me? You, uh, <laughs> not the Parasites, the Perizzites, uh, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So you see again, God saying, I'm seeing things are not how they're supposed to be. I hear their affliction, their pain, their suffering. And now he's going to say, I'm going to do something about it. Verse 10, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God in this mountain. And so he sees the burning bush. He turns aside, and God says, I've seen what's going on. I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to use you, Moses, to do something about it. And Moses asks the question, Well, who am I? that I should be the one to do this. And kind of like with my dryer, it was like, here's this situation. The first time I looked at when we moved in, I saw the problem, what needed to be done, and I looked at myself and I thought, who am I to do this? I can't do this. I don't have the resources, the knowledge, the skill. Uh, and then this time around, it was like, I think I can do this now. I've gotten more experience in, in housing, and I'm going to try it. I had help from around me. But it's like we have problems in our life that we look at, or situations, and then we look at ourselves to see, do I have what it takes to do that thing that's in front of me. And when Moses looks at it, he says, I don't have what it takes. I'm looking at what you're asking me to do, and I don't have it. But God's response is, but I will be with you. And it's an invitation to trust. And it's interesting that he's like, you know what the sign is going to be that I've been with you? Is that it's going to work. <laughs> that you're going to lead these people out. How are you going to be confirmed that I was with you? It's like, I'm going to be there every step of the way. And so he gives this invitation to Moses to trust. And then... I'm not going to go through 
uh, all these verses. We're going to read at least this first one. Uh, Moses starts coming up with reasons why this couldn't work. Uh, Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So he's basically like, okay, I, well, who am I to do this? I'm going to be with you. Well, who should I tell him? Who, who should I tell him sent me? Well, say, I am who I am. And God's about to say, like, I didn't reveal this name, this in-depth knowledge about me to your ancestors, but I'm revealing it newly to you. And it's kind of a weird phrase of, you know, if somebody asked you, came up and asked me, like, hey, who are you? I am who I am. You'd be like, okay, <laughs> I am who I am too, but what's your, you know, what's your name? It's kind of like this... Uh, interesting phrase, and actually, um, the this is the letters in Hebrew here. The the Jewish people felt that this was like so holy of a thing to say the name of God that they actually avoid would avoid saying it. They'd re- re- see the letters of this name that God says, and they would say Lord instead of Yahweh, which is actually how you pronounce it. And when you're reading through your Bible, every time you see Lord in like all caps, like a big L, and then a lower case or a a smaller but all caps O-R-D, Lord, that's always in the original language, that's this, I am, is what it says, Yahweh, and we read it as Lord in all caps. But what is this saying? Like, none of us can just say, you know, who are you? I am, uh, that I just exist, I am in being, that I am alive. But what this points to is God's self-existence. He's self-sufficient, like, who am I? I am who I am. I've always been, I always will be. And there's no, no time or place where I am not. He's not needy. And he says, I'm going to have my actus, active presence with you as it has been in all things forever and will always be. That God just is that. And we're, none of us are that way. We're all contingent and dependent upon somebody giving birth to us, somebody giving light, God giving us life every day. We aren't, you know, I am not just am. I, Mitch just isn't is. That I have all these things that are keeping me alive. And he says, okay, verse 14, um, say to the people of Israel, I'm, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is the name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me with, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we, we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And so he says, okay, this is what you're going to say to the people of Israel. This is what you're going to say to the elders of Israel. This is what you're going to go and say to Pharaoh. And it's just this repeated, like, the God of your ancestors has talked to me. He's met with us. And he is coming. He's seen what's going on with us. And he's going to do something about it. And now go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, that they may come and worship me. And then God predicts what Pharaoh will do in verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder 
the Egyptians. So God knows this is how it's going to go. You're going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to say no. And he's not going to let you go until he's compelled by the, my mighty hand, the things that I'm going to do uh, to the people of Egypt. And Moses comes up with more excuses. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. So he's like, well, what if the people don't believe me? And he's like, okay, see that staff in your hand? Throw it down. It throws a staff down. It becomes a snake. He says, reach out and grab it. reaches out the staff, or the snake turns back into a staff. And he's like, yeah, but uh, maybe I need some more. And God's like, put your hand in your cloak. And puts his hand in his cloak, takes it out, and he has leprosy. He says, put it back in and take it out. Now you don't have leprosy. And he's like, these are the two signs I can confirm to them that I'm with you. And if they won't believe that, you can grab some water out of the Nile River and you'll pour it out of a cup and it'll turn to blood. And so Moses is like, well, what if they don't believe you've appeared to me? And God's like, here's how you can <laughs> confirm that I have appeared to you. But then he goes on with another excuse. But I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. Uh, I can't do this. And God says, well, who made your mouth? Trust in me. I'm the one that can make your mouth work. I'm the one who's going to be with your mouth and teaching you what to say. And finally, Moses just says, please just send someone else. <laughs> he's run out of all his excuses, and he's like, I just really don't want to do this. Please, please pick somebody else. And at this point, God is angry. And it's interesting when God gets angry with people in the Bible. We would maybe expect when people are just kind of like messing up or struggling with life, that that's when God gets mad, angry. Often God is grieved and sad about our sin, not angry about it And when we see in the Bible. But here he gets angry with Mo Moses, like, I'm told you I'm going to be with you, and you will not trust that. And he says, okay, your brother Aaron, uh, he speaks well. You can use him. He can be your spokesperson. And he's coming to meet you, and you will tell him what to say. And so it's like God already planned that Aaron is already on his way. And he's like, your brother Aaron's going to meet you, and he's going to be uh, helping with this. And so Moses gets this from God. And then chapter 4, verses 18 through 31, he's preparing to go back to Egypt, and he does eventually go back to Egypt. And he comes and tells his father-in-law, Jethro, you know, he married into this family, he tells his father-in-law, hey, I'm going to go back to Egypt. Uh, Jethro gives him a blessing. And then God says, the people who are looking for you, remember that Egyptian you killed? And then the Egyptian officials were trying to find you to put you to death for that crime. They're no longer looking for you, so you can go back. And so God says to Moses, chapter 4, verse 21, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And there's a whole lot in there that may strike you as like, that's a little weird like he's going to harden pharaoh's heart like i thought he wanted pharaoh to let them go and we can't get into that now there's going to be a major theme of next week when the 10 plagues happen it's going to be a theme throughout of pharaoh hardening his heart god hardening pharaoh's heart so we'll talk about that next week um, but also warns them of what's going to happen that the firstborn sons are going to be killed if you will not let my firstborn son referring to israel go then you're going to lose your firstborn sons and that's the 10th plague also known as the passover and so we'll see more of that next week and then Moses heads back, uh, and he eventually makes it to, the, the, to Aaron, and they talk, and then they go to the elders and tell them what to say. And when the people hear it, look at verse uh, 31. Well, let's start at verse 30, chapter 4. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. He did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. 
When they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And I just think it's so great that they're like, God knows what it's like to be us. He's seen our affliction. He knows our pain, and they're encouraged by that. And we've all experienced that, where we're in something and we feel alone. And then somebody sees us and hears us and listens to us. And now we're not alone anymore because they know it too. And they believed and they worshipped God. In chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh. So remember, he was, go talk to the people of Israel. Go talk to the elders. And then go talk to Pharaoh. And so he goes and talks to Pharaoh in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I'll read those verses for you. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. They want to obey God. They're like, We need to obey him. This is important. Moses and Aaron, and then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And so you see, remember when Moses, when God says, you're going to do this, and Moses says, who am I? And then God says, this is who I am. And then Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh, God says, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? I don't know this guy. Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh sends out this command, like, we're going to make it worse for you. Tell all the taskmasters, tell all the foremen that they're going to keep making bricks for my building projects, but they're going to do it without straw because the straw would help it, like, hold together. We're not going to give them straw. They're going to go find it on their own. So he says, send them on out and tell them your work's going to be harder. And basically, eventually, Pharaoh says, well, if you're talking about going and worshiping your God out in the wilderness, like, apparently you guys don't have enough work to keep you busy. So let me give you more work. So you can stop thinking about that, stop being lazy, and stop talking about this whole going and worshiping your God thing. And so then the, the, the foremen, there's like Israel, Israelite foremen who are uh, managed by Egyptian taskmasters. And the foremen who are help, you know, kind of running the people of Israel, the managers, and they come and tell the taskmasters, look, we can't keep up with this. We can't do it. And eventually they go to Pharaoh and say, we can't keep up with this. And Pharaoh says, no. It's still going to be the same. You've got to make the same amount of bricks with less help and less resources. And then what happens in verse 20? The, the foremen come, chapter 5, verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And it's kind of like, thanks a lot, Moses and Aaron. Things are worse for us now. So you can see their trust is starting to diminish. And now we can see Moses' trust, verse 22. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh and to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You have not delivered your people at all. And we might think the same as Moses, because often when we're like, ask God for something, or feel this deep sense he's guiding us to something, like this is from God, and we're like, Oh, that means God's going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> and often there are curves and ways that God is doing it that we're like, why so long? Why do I have to go through all that stuff to get to here? And in the middle, we might just be like, God, where are you? Life is worse. I'm trusting you in this. And I trusted you that this would happen for me, and now it's not. But God, chapter 6, like I said, it starts off with God talking to Moses. 
And then Moses talks to all these other people, and then we get to chapter 6, God talks to Moses again. So chapter 6, verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Verse 10, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so God talks to Moses, basically repeats all the stuff. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. You tell that to the people. And then go say to Pharaoh, this is what I want to happen. But when he talks to the people, we're told they don't believe because they have broken spirit and heart under, under harsh slavery. And they feel hopeless. And what's going to change this? I mean, Moses came in and said things are going to get better, and then it got worse. And what's going to change any of this? And I wonder if you've been there too, just in a situation where it's like, this just feels hopeless. There's no good way out of this situation. There's no win here. Uh, there's no good way out of this difficult relationship. There's no good way about this, or out of this thing at work. Or there's no good way about this physical ailment I have. There's just nothing. I'm hopeless. I'm defeated. There's nothing for me here. Nothing can change it. God can't do anything. And Moses, and God just repeats, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be for you. This is what I'm going to do. Then he charges Moses and Aaron to bring the people out, even though they doubt. And the rest of chapter 6 just goes through this genealogy, basically. Here's the, the family line that Moses and Aaron come from, so you can confirm, well, which Moses and Aaron are we talking about? Uh, there's a whole bunch of Moses and Aaron's about, but which ones did this? It's these guys with this family line, and here's what God said to, told them to do, and here's what they did, and how Pharaoh responded, and how they responded. The theme of this passage, and the name of this message is, Who am I? Because that's what Moses says to God. Well, who am I to do this? Why are you sending me? Why me? And then when Moses asks that, God doesn't give him a pep talk. Listen, Moses, here's why you're the guy for the job. Let's just run, you know, run down the, the list of things. Uh, you're from this family lineage. You've been in the Egyptian court system, which means you have a great education. You can write and you know, maybe talk, but Moses, he doesn't even say that. Like, Moses, you're good at speeches. You're going to be able to rev up the people and get them all rallied. You're going to be able, I'm giving you this pep talk so you can give it to them. And like, Moses, you're the guy for the job, but God doesn't say that. He says, Moses says, who am I to do this? And God says, but I will be with you. It's not that you're the guy who can do this, but I'm the God who is going to do it. I'm going to do it through you. And then we might ask, well, 
who is with me? You're going to be with me, God? Well, who are you? And then God gives him this name, I Am. And he goes through, I'm the God of your fathers, who's seen, heard, knows, the God who will bring you out of your affliction with a mighty hand, who will defeat Pharaoh, who's going to lead you to the promised land, that I'm going to do this for you. And it's uh, not so much about who you are, Moses, but about who I am. That don't be looking at yourself, be looking at me. It's not about you, and it's not up to you. And if we jump, then jump forward to chapter 6, verses 2 through 8, let me just read those verses again. And notice how many times God says, I. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. By my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slave, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. His speech ends with, I am the Lord. And begins with, I am the Lord. And so he's saying, are you going to trust me to be who I say I am? Here's I. I am the Lord. And here's all of what it means that I am. I am the God Almighty of your forefathers who's going to do this, and I am able to do it. Will you trust me to be who I say I am? And we see that they're being freed from something, from slavery. But they're also being freed for something that... I'm going to be your God and I'm going to make you my people. That you're not just coming out like, okay, I freed you, good luck, but I'm going to make you into my people. And he says several times here, and he's going to say it in uh, future chapters, he says, I'm doing this that you may know that I am the Lord. And then actually in chapter 7 he says that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, that God in doing this for them is revealing this is who I am, this is what I'm like, this is the kind of God that I am. And he doesn't do it you know, by sending a memo this is what I'm like, but he's doing it by being himself, by being their savior, their liberator, their redeemer. But this all happened over 3,000 years ago, so what does it have to do with us? I'm not an Israelite, so I don't doesn't have much to do with me. But what this points forward to is to Jesus. And when Jesus came, he came and said, I've been sent by God to set people free. And there's all these promises in the Old Testament that one day God's going to lead us in a new exodus, and it's going to be this better one than the first one. And then when Jesus comes, he proclaims his inaugural sermon is, I've come to set the people free from our real and our deepest enemies, sin, Satan, and death, the things that have truly enslaved mankind, and I'm coming to set them free. He never doubts, never makes excuses, he trusts. And we see that he's the true and better Moses who is leading us out of slavery. He's the ultimate Moses, the one who never doubts God, who walks with God the whole time. But he's also the I am himself. That Jesus, when we see Gospel according to John, uh, yeah, Gospel according to John chapter 1, that Jesus was God and he was with God before the creation of the world, and then he took on flesh, and then John takes us through these seven statements where Jesus says, I am blank. And all Jewish people would be like, whoa man, that is not territory. Using the words I am for anything is pointing people like, I am God in the flesh, if you can see it and if you can believe it. And he says to some of the Jewish leaders, before Abraham was, I am. So it's like, wait, 
you're talking about Abraham, like 2,000 years ago, Abraham, and then you're just saying, he doesn't say before Abraham was, I was, he says before Abraham was, I am. It's like, wait, you're saying you're older than Abraham, that you've been existing this whole time? And then he goes, has all these I am statements in the gospel according to John. So how do we make this practical for us? How do we make it personal? Well, our default is to trust in ourselves as much as possible so that I can be self-sufficient. Because if I'm not self-sufficient, then I have to ask you for help. And then that shows that I'm needy, that I'm weak, that I'm lacking in some way, that I actually need somebody else and I'm not self-sufficient. And I heard this really helpful definition of trust, what it means to trust someone. It means to let, to let them help us, to let them support us, to let them do something for us we can't do ourselves. To trust someone means to let. And also in doing it, it's uh, letting them see that we don't know everything and we can't do everything. And that there's things that are just beyond me that I need other people in my life for, that I'm lacking, that I'm lacking, that I'm needy. And that actually I'm not God. (laughs) Because the only self-sufficient person is the I am who I am. God is. And all of us are all contingent, uh, dependent on other things for our existence. And so when Jesus comes, you know, who is Jesus that we should trust in this whole passage is about, well, who am I? And it's not about who we are, but it's about who God is and then who Jesus is that he reveals God to us. So who is Jesus that we should trust him? In his I am statements are, I am the bread of life that God has sent to give you life. I am the light of the world who reveals and gives life and who conquers the darkness. I am the door by whom we become one of God's people. I am the good shepherd who will lay down my life for my sheep. I am the resurrection and the life who's defeated death and gives you hope beyond the grave. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the way to God and to live, the truth about God, the life of God. And lastly, I am the true vine. Those are his seven I am statements. I am the true vine who makes you alive when you're connected to me, that I give you life. Jesus is the friend, the leader, the teacher that we're all looking for, someone that we can trust because we know that he's already laid down his life and love for us. It's kind of like the people who love you the most are the people you're going to trust the most. And Jesus has already proven that he's loved us the most. That why should I trust you? Well, because of what already, I've already done. That I went and died in your place for the things you've done against God. You deserve death. I took it in your place. Trust me. I love you way more than you can imagine. And he frees us from the penalty of our sin that we should have to pay for. That we should be separated from God. And Jesus frees us from that penalty, from the guilt and shame we walk around with. And he frees us also from the power of sin. That it's like, how are we ever going to be free of this selfishness, this jealousy, this bitterness, this resentment that keeps coming up on in me? These addictions or whatever it is we go to instead of God. How will I ever be free of that? Jesus frees us from the power of sin. And he promises that he will free us from the presence of sin. That one day he will make it all new. That we've already been freed from our slavery in Egypt. And on our way to the promised land. But we're not there yet. The new creation that Jesus promises that we will have. And so our question for us is, will we let, will we let Jesus be for us who he wants to be for us, our Redeemer? Will we let him do for us what he wants to do for us? And what's really freeing is realizing and accepting that it's not all about me. It's not all up to me. That's surrender. If you want to know, that's in our mission statement, surrendering all of life to Jesus. We surrender by saying, it's not all about me and it's not all up to me. And that's freeing of like, well, it's not who am I, but it's who God is. That we're supposed to bring, look to him and not to ourselves. When we see these 
this problem of evil and justice in the world and the selfishness <coughs> and what we see in ourselves that it's like, when I look at myself, who am I? I can't free myself from this. We're supposed to look at who God is, who Jesus is to us. And true spiritual power and freedom is found in I can't, but he can. And that's how we get free. And then we're also sent, like Moses was sent. He's God. What God does to us, he wants to do through us. And Moses is sent to go be used by God to set others free. And that's the second part of our church's mission statement. We're surrendering all of life to Jesus and inviting others to do the same. And often when we feel like we're sent, you know, Jesus says, I want you to go make disciples, invite other people to surrender to me. And he says, and I'll be with you. But often we kind of give our list of stuff. Why me? I don't know how. I, I don't want, don't know what to say. I'm too busy, too tired, not enough time, not my gift. Well, what if this, send someone else. I really just don't want to do it. <laughs> and oftentimes when we're like, you're, you're supposed to talk to Jesus about other people so they can believe. And we look at ourselves and we're like, well, who am I to do that? I don't have my life together. What am I supposed to say? But it says, no, look at who he is. That's who you're introducing people to, that you don't have to have all the answers. Like, I don't know. You know people might ask you questions, but you don't know how to answer. And you say, I don't have all the answers, but I do have this one, that Jesus has set me free. And he wants to set you free, too. I find it encouraging that neither Moses nor the people have much faith, that they're really struggling to believe. But God still does what he says he's going to do. And the Bible isn't a book of great heroes to imitate. What you see is flawed, imperfect, very selfish, sinful, doubting people that God still chooses to love anyway and to use anyway in, in spite of themselves. They have God. He's the hero. And so we're not supposed to say, who am I? Well, we might say that. Well, who am I? And then we get our eyes off ourselves and say, well, who is he? And that's who's freeing me. That's who's inviting other people to be free too. Let's pray. God, there's so much in this passage and I just ask that you would help us to really see who you are, that we would trust in you and not in ourselves. Help us to get our eyes off of me and get them onto you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.